watching all those guys singing, uh, standing on the promises, all sitting in their very comfortable chairs, always reminded me of, I'm sure I've shared this with you before, um, dear old John Elms, who was a brother of, of mine back at the church in London. Um, John always used to hold his hymn book in his right hand and sing his praises to God with his left hand in his pocket of his trousers. And John was absolutely thrilled when they invented the overhead projector because he could then do away with his hymn book and keep both hands in his pockets while he sang his praises to God. And to sing standing on the promises of God while you're sitting down, I don't know how they managed it really, but um, great, isn't it? Just a little thing I came across today, you know, I mean, we keep, um, uh, it's been one of those weeks, isn't it, really? Um, that's been pretty down. All the news pretty much has been bad. Um, and I was thinking there's so much, so much uh, is being made now of, of mental health. Now, don't get me wrong. Um, uh, mental health, uh, you know, uh, is, is a, a thing that we should be concerned about. A lot of people uh, suffer genuine mental health and there's no problem at all. Um, uh, and and certainly the, the, um, the help that they require should certainly be given and found. And, and we should certainly remember people who suffer um, generally from it in our prayers as we've been asked to, to pray today, for, in particular for Heidi. But it seems to me that anybody with any concern these days um, blames their mental health for it. Um, years ago, we used to call it life, uh, but now all of a sudden it becomes mental health and mental health problems. And I'll come across a little thing that really cheered me up this week. It's a silly little thing, but I'll share it with you. It's got nothing to do with the sermon. Um, but it's a little thing that I came across and it said, said the robin to the sparrow, I should really like to know why these anxious human beings rush about and worry so. Said the sparrow to the robin, friend, I think that it must be that they have no heavenly father such as cares for you and me. And that's sweet. Not just sweet, it's very profound, isn't it? You know, I mean, I know it's written as, as just a, a, a twee sort of poem, but you know, People don't know they've got a heavenly father who cares for them as much as a sparrow that falls to the ground. And this is the world's problems. I've seen so many women this week claiming that the, the government must do something about women's safety. But what? What will change the hearts of men? Not the police force, not the government passing bills, not longer prison sentences or something like that. It will not. You cannot change the heart of a man. Only the Lord Jesus Christ can change the heart of a man or a woman for that matter. And it's this turning away that the, as the world turns away increasing in increasing numbers as the, as the world turns away uh, from God and he becomes completely irrelevant in society. We're gonna look at Psalm 8. Um, I've got down here, read Psalm 8, and I haven't even got my Bible open, hold on a minute. It won't take me a minute to find it, I know where Psalms is. 
even though I might not know where Habakkuk is. But there we go. Psalm 8, Psalm of David, tremendous psalm, stuck between two much larger psalms. And in some respects, uh, well, I don't know, a little bit out of place, I guess, but nonetheless, here it is, Psalm 8. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. From the lips of children and infants, you have ordained praise because of your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens and the works of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? You made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honour. You made him ruler over the works of your hands. You put everything under his feet, all flocks and herds and the beasts of the fields, the birds of the air and the fish of the sea, all that swim the paths of the sea. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. I was given good advice not so many years ago that whenever you read the Bible, the first question you must ask as you come to read the Holy Scriptures is what does it tell you about God? Not what does it tell you about David? What does it tell you about Abraham or Moses? What does it tell you about God? And it's often described, seen as David was on this, and say David wrote this psalm. You know, you hear so many people, where, whether it be a preacher or a teacher or whatever, that this translation of this verse, that, that David was a man after God's own heart. And so much is made of it because just a chapter or two after that is stated in scripture, we find that David is planning and committing adultery, he's planning a murder, he's deceitful, he's lying, he's in denial. How could a man like that be after God's own heart? And here's something that come from Alistair Begg. You see, this is about God, not about David. David's heart wasn't full of God, but God's heart was full of David. That's why he was a man after God's own heart. His, God's heart was full of David. And he made something of David, didn't he? He promised him that his throne would last forever. It's a little bit of an aside, but it's interesting. It's interesting. This is a sermon. It's not a Bible study, so we will skip. And we'll see what this, uh, what this psalm can bring us from a sermon point of view rather than a Bible study. But I'll still, I'll still try and finish within two hours, okay? I didn't, well, when I say I didn't, I tried, I tried earlier in the week not to pay too much attention to Harry and Meghan. I don't know if you tried the same, but it was nigh on impossible. It was absolutely impossible to ignore it. Uh, but I tried to whenever I could perhaps disappear to make a cup of tea if it was on the news or whatever. But one thing really interested me, and I'm glad that, that the Lord really opened it and, and, and brought my attention to it and made me concentrate. It was Megan talking and she couldn't understand. She couldn't understand why 
close family like Harry um, and, and, and even Princess Anne and, and, and the such like, very close family, actually bowed and curtsied to the Queen. And she said, for goodness sake, Harry, she's your grandmother. And Harry quite rightly pointed out and said, but she's the Queen. She's the Queen. You know, I think as evangelicals sometimes, you know, when Jesus said, I call you friends because you're now my friends, we've lost that sense of Christians of worship. We've become very familiar with God. You see, we worship God not because he is who he is, but for not for his glory. Well, sorry, we worship God because he is God. Simply that, nothing more, nothing less. We worship God because he is God. And we worship him for his glory. Praise and thanksgiving, they're a different proposition and they're a sermon for another time. But you see, worship of God is Holy Spirit inspired. The wonderful story of Jesus with the woman at the well in John chapter four and verse 21. After he'd been speaking for the, to the woman for some time, Jesus declared, believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem, for a time is coming and has now come when true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshippers must worship him in spirit and in truth. And that's often be my beef with this title that some key people get given and you often uh, here in churches and you see jobs advertised for worship leaders. There is only one worship leader and that is the Holy Spirit. He will bring us into that sense of worship of God. You can call the others what you like, praise facilitators, praise enhancers, but they're not worship leaders. It's only the Holy Spirit of God that can bring us into that sense of worship. And you need no other reason to worship God other than the fact that he is God. You can give him thanks and praise for what he does and for what he's promised to do, what he's done in the past and what he's doing for you today. But you don't need any reason to worship God other than the fact that he is God. And you can remember the most uh, you know, the, the, the temptation in the desert when the devil was really doing his best and trying his hardest. And he, he the, the, the very last throw of the dice, as it were, when he asked Jesus to worship him. If you just bow before me and worship me, all this will be yours. Worship. It's what God wants above all else. I am the Lord your God. You will have no other gods before me. Worship is absolutely essential. And it's essential for us, as, absolutely essential for us as Christians. It should be our priority 
every day to worship um, and throughout every moment of the day, our, our whole lives should breathe worship to God. This word glory, set your glory above the heavens. It's a strange word. It's one of those words that could to cover a multitude of things. But really, essentially, God's glory is his personality. It is God himself. Wonder if you've ever considered the Ten Commandments. We see them as the law, don't we? And, and, and rightly so. And God set these Ten Commandments, um, you know, for the Israelites in the desert that, that I would to, to live by. But I wonder if you've ever considered them and looked at them, because what they are actually, they are actually God's personality in writing. They are actually God's personality. Why don't we tell lies? Is it because we, you know, they're not nice? Well, they're not, that's for sure. But why do we not tell lies? Because God is truth. Why do we not commit adultery? Because God is faithful. Why do we not covet? Because God doesn't covet. It's God's personality. And as we keep the commandments, as we keep the commandments, that is how we reflect. And that was how it was intended for the, for the, for the Israelites to reflect God's personality into the world, to reflect God into the world. As we keep those commandments, we reflect God into the world. We reflect his personality. Try to follow me now. You'll have to excuse me. I haven't learned. I haven't learned. I haven't, <laughs> I haven't learned this ability to follow my notes uh, at all. Um, but anyway, here we go. You have set your glory above the heavens, and from the lips of children and infants, you have ordained praise because of your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. You may recall uh, Jesus uh, entering Jerusalem and entered entering the temple and clearing the money changers out. And the reading goes on, the blind and the lame came to him at the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the leaders of the law saw the wonderful things that he did and the children shouting in the temple area, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. Do you hear them? What they are saying, they asked. And Jesus replied, have you never read from the lips of children and infants you have ordained? praise they weren't really interested in the wonderful things that he was doing but they were jolly indignant about the children actually singing hosanna to the son of david and it came from the, this psalm psalm 8 from the lips of children and infants you have ordained praise and isn't it true god chooses the weak and the humble and indeed the fool to confound the wise. Those that are ignorant, he chooses them to confound the wise. It's God's way. It's God's way. I wonder if we can just, just ponder for a moment the reading. I've got a reading down here from 1 Kings. Solomon, if you want to know how to pray a prayer of thanksgiving, just read Solomon's prayer at the dedication of the temple. But uh, just for this little bit now from 1 Kings 8, 56, 
And it says, praise, this is Solomon, as he's turned to the people and he's praying over the people. Praise be to the Lord who has given rest to his people Israel, just as he promised. Not one word has failed of all the good promises he gave through his servant Moses. May the Lord our God be with us as we as he was with our fathers, may he never leave us nor forsake us. May he turn our hearts to him to walk in all his ways and to give the commands, decrees, regulations he gave to our fathers. And may these words of mine, which I have prayed before the Lord, be near to the Lord our God day and night, that he may uphold the cause of his servant and the cause of his people, Israel, according to each day's need, so that all the peoples of the earth, and this was why God chose the people of Israel, and this is why he chooses Christians today, so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the Lord is God and that there is no other. But there's a warning, but your hearts must be fully committed to the Lord our God to live by his decrees and obey his commands as at this time. Incredible. It's our job. It's our job to, 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 to first and foremost, to worship God, to, to, to let him fill our lives, let him fill our lives. And then as we, as we worship and adore him, then our lives will reflect his personality into this world of ours, that people will see him. That's what being a Christian is all about. Yes, it's about our salvation, obviously. But once we are saved, that is our job. That, is, that should be our lives. Simply living it out day by day. Living it out so that people will know. A lot of, you know, this effort of, of let's, you know, let's go into the community and, and, and let's do this and do that. And, you know, let's, let's just show people that we're not really any different to them. We are different to them. Or we should be. And if you're not, you need to ask why. Because you have a God that you worship. You have a God who has saved your soul for eternity. That's why you should be different. And that's what makes you different. We move on to the verses three, four and five. I won't read them. But this our God, how this how David considers the heavens considers the heavens. I don't know if you've ever been in it. Apparently, apparently in our galaxy, there are over a hundred billion stars like our sun. And our galaxy is one of a hundred billion galaxies. Considering that, how easy it is for us humans to feel insignificant. Don't know if you, if you look up at the star, we, we walked out this morning and you look up at the sky and you see that that blue and the sun and it's jolly pleasing to see it but it looks like a canopy over the earth doesn't it and yet if you go out at night that canopy sort of disappears and it's as if you can see forever it's absolutely incredible isn't it i stand out the front of my house where there's a lamppost and i can see virtually nothing i might see the moon and if there's a planet within uh, close orbit you can catch that because they're normally bright but you don't see any stars. But if I walk around the side of my house where there is no light, I can see forever. It's incredible. It's absolutely marvellous. 
and here he is, David. You know, when I consider your heavens and the works of your fingers, the moons and the stars. In the message, Peterson translates it like this. I look up at your macro skies, dark and enormous, your handmade sky jewelry, moon and stars mounted in their settings. Then I look at my Microsoft, uh, my micro self and wonder, why do you bother with me? Why take a second look my way? What is man that God is mindful of him? I wonder if you've ever considered this, that out of all of God's creation, out of all of God's creation, man was the only part of creation who was created with eternity in mind. Did you know that? Do you realize that? That man was the only part of God's creation that was created with eternity in mind. You and I were created to live forever through eternity. Not the animals, not the fish, not the birds, not the trees, not the moon, not the sun, not the stars, all those things that we marvel at, but you and me. That's why God's mindful of us. We are the pinnacle of his creation. You've only have to do the Genesis 1, isn't it? Genesis 1, let us make man in our image. You are the only part of creation that is created in God's image. And God gave man responsibility for his creation and all the help that he needed to sustain it. He made him ruler. And with that title comes great responsibility, doesn't it? You put everything, you made him, that you made, that's God, you made man ruler over the works of your hands. You put everything under his feet, all flocks and herds, all the beasts of the fields, the birds of the air and the fish of the sea, all that swim in the paths of the sea. You crown man with glory. You put everything under his feet. Great responsibility that he gave to man. And here we are. And we probably ask the same question. I don't know if you do, but you do ask the same question as David, maybe. What is man that you're mindful of him? All, all this, you know, the creation of the sun and the moon and the stars and, you know, the marvellous creations of animals. And we see all that goes on and now that, and that keeps repeating itself year after year, century after century, millennia after millennia. And what is man? you're mindful of, of him. Ephesians 1 and Paul talks the power, that power is like the working of his mighty strength which exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms for above all rule, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion and every title that can be given not only in the present age, but also in the age to come. And God placed all things under his feet. You see, man was only given a season to rule over the earth because Christ has now come and we in Christ rule over the earth because Christ is seated 
in that place and we have been seated with him. What a privilege. What a privilege. No wonder we worship God. No wonder we worship God and we worship him for who he is. Uh, Philippians 2. Philippians 2, 5 to 11. Your attitude should be the same as that of Jesus Christ, who being in the very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man and humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place, gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It's interesting. I never realised that, and it's a, it's a, a sad confession to have to make, isn't it, really? But I never realised that till today that that verse because I've heard it preached so many times and I hear it prayed even today and probably people preaching on it today, that that's something in for future reference, that one day every knee will bow and one day every tongue can confess, but that's not what it says in scripture. It says that, every, that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and in heaven on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess every knee should bow christ is ruler christ is now seated in the highest place god has given him the name that is above every name and because of that every knee should bow it's not something for the future it'll be a bit too late when it when jesus comes again for every knee to bow because it'll be too late. Every knee should bow now. And it's very noticeable. And that's why really when I read this psalm through my worship came to mind, because it's very rare in scripture, if at all, whenever it's talked about people worshiping, they always bow. You don't bow to praise. You don't necessarily bow to pray. But when it comes to worship, you bow down and worship. God wants it. It's primary, and it's something that the church has lost. The church has forgotten how to worship. Honestly, it has. And I guess, and I'm not making any accusations here, and hopefully it doesn't apply, but if the cap fits, then we at Great Parks must wear it. Have we forgotten how to worship, truly worship? We neglect these essential components of our faith at our peril. I was reading this week, and funnily enough, it took a, it's, a, it, it's taken a Catholic priest to point it out. The church is not dying of natural causes. It's committing suicide. Think on those words. Think on those words. The church is not dying of natural causes. It's committing suicide. It's dying from within, folks. The church is dying from within. The church today portrays God, Jesus, as some kind of glorified social worker. But we certainly need to give thanks and praise that he is a carer. 
but we meet to bow down and worship him for he is God. He is God. He's above all things. We need to worship him. Yes, she is my grandmother, but she's the queen. She's the queen. Yes, he is my savior. Yes, he is my friend, but he's God. And we must never, ever forget that. Never forget that he is God. Probably spoken for too long now, but I'll just finish with this. At the turn of the century, and from the 19th into the 20th century, the end of the 1800s, William Booth, founder of the Salvation Army, was asked to comment on the state of Christianity and his great fears for it. And he came up with these six things. He was afraid that we'd have religion without the Holy Spirit. We would actually have Christianity without Christ. We would have forgiveness without repentance. We would have salvation without regeneration. We would have politics without God. And worst of all, I think we would have heaven without hell. And if you really give those six statements some thought, you will realize that is exactly as it is in a majority of our churches in this Western world. Let me read them again. Religion without the Holy Spirit, Christianity without Christ, forgiveness without repentance, salvation without regeneration, politics without God, and heaven without hell. What on earth is the church preaching to the world? Is it preaching God? Is it preaching Jesus? And why isn't it? I think because we've forgotten how to worship. I think it's because we have forgotten how to worship the essential part of our Christian lives, the things that we neglect. And what were the four things you remember when, when they, in the book of Acts, when the, the, the apostle, the, the, um, the church, the church devoted itself, didn't it, to the teaching of the apostles, i.e. Bible study, for fellowship, coming together often, of breaking of bread, the communion service, and to prayer. They were the things, they were the things that got the church off the ground. They were the things that enabled the, the infant church to survive. And I honestly think in this country today, the church is really in survival mode. And yet what are the things that we are neglecting? Bible study, fellowship, breaking of bread, prayer. What's gonna to happen to us? The church is not dying from natural causes, it's committing suicide. Let's start, let's get back to basics and let's start with number one, worship of the Lord our God. Thank you.